So good morning. If I don't know you, my name's Matt Howe. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, um, at least for a couple of short more months, and um, am thrilled to be back up on stage today after a couple of weeks off. Uh, I've had a group of 73 students and adults down in Appalachia uh, a week or so ago um, doing some, some great work. In fact, if you were a member of uh, the team that went down there and you're here this morning, why don't you just stand up so I can see you? Anybody? Stand up? Yeah, there you go. So... One of the things that I love most about ASP um, since coming here seven years ago is that it's probably one of, the th one of the things that we do that really reaches across all four services. Um, we have people from our 830 service who've been with us to ASP, our uh, 930 service, as well as both of our 11 o'clock services. And it's really a great time. Um, if you've never been before, I would encourage you um, to consider um, possibly going on a future trip because it's just a really neat way to, uh, to bond with, with our church family as well as to bond with the families that we serve for sure. Um, my team, my work crew of nine, uh, got to serve a couple. Um, their names were Ants, that was the father, the husband, and Fanny. Uh, so yeah, kick back, right? Um, Ants and Fanny, sweet couple. And I think when I was listening to Eric this morning, uh, I was just kind of thinking about Ants and about Fanny. And, and Eric didn't so much say this, but, but I was just thinking about some of what he was saying in the context of we allow so many things in this world to define us, you know, to really like define who we are, in other words, when really we know whom it is that is supposed to define who we are. Right? I mean, we're to be defined by Jesus Christ and his blood and his righteousness, and, and that's really what is to define who we are, and yet we allow so many things. And, and I thought about Ants and Fanny because there are so many outside circumstances in their life that could e very easily define who this couple is. I mean, you talk about living in poverty, you talk about living in a community and in a place where there's just very little opportunity to advance beyond kind of where one is and where one is born into. Um, Ants himself, uh, difficulty hearing, uh, difficulty seeing, basically blind uh, in one eye, and, um, and then just their age, you know. Here's a couple that are in their late 70s uh, in Appalachia, um, been married, I think, 57 years, they told us. Um, but yet, this couple, like, every time they opened their mouths, it was just thanksgiving upon thanksgiving for all the ways in which God has been faithful in their life and through their marriage and in the life of their son and their granddaughter. And it was just such a testimony and a reminder to me um, that, that, man, when we, like, really sit down and, and look back upon our life, you know, it it's the countless ways in which God has blessed us and in which, you know, Christ has just ministered to us. And so, I, I don't know, I just say that for whatever it's worth, but don't let this world, don't let fear, don't let any of that stuff define who you are because, man, live the life that is defined by your hope that you have in Christ because that's really the only, way to, the only way to do it for sure. So that's my mini sermonette this morning. Um, I also just feel, Eric, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of preach for 20 minutes 15, 20 minutes, and then I'm going to let you guys come back up because I feel like we need an extended ministry time today. I felt like I was looking around the room from best I could from the front row and just seeing people during those last couple of songs that we were doing, and I just feel like God is working on some of our hearts this morning, and so I want to just allow some real time for our prayer team to come up 
front and for our worship team to lead us and just allow you to kind of just get off your chest, whatever it is that, that you're dealing with today and whatever it is that God might be wanting to do with you. So we'll do that here in a little bit. But this morning we're in week nine of our sermon series on Jesus' sermon, his sermon on the mount. And I'm happy to report that we have finally made our way through chapter five, okay? We have covered one chapter of the Bible in eight weeks, which, I mean, let's just face it, you could probably do 16 weeks on one chapter of the Bible. There's that much good stuff in there. But we're through chapter five, which means that today we are beginning a new journey, and that is in chapter six. Still the same sermon, but there is a little bit of a transition, a little bit of a changeover, a little bit of a a turn that Jesus makes in chapter 6. Chapter 6 really has some very specific instructions on what we are to do when we give, when we pray, when we fast. Um, He goes on in chapter 6 a little bit later to talk about um, worry and anxiety and all these other types of things, but... Specifically, I want us to look at those first few words, in fact, those first four verses. We're going to do that here in just a second. And you might say that what Jesus is really doing is he's kind of like throwing up some caution signs. Like, hey, when you go to do these things, just be forewarned. Be be aware of of these things. He's going to give us some of that, okay? We're going to get there in a second. First, I want to know, though, um, how many of you would consider yourself to be a risk taker? Go ahead and raise your hand up. Some of you aren't even risky enough to raise your hand in a service with other people, but uh, you're a risk taker. Let me see them. Just kind of wave them like this. I kind of want to observe. I'm looking around. I know a lot of you. I'm I'm trying to think if that parallels with what I know about you. Some of you, I'm thinking, oh, yeah. Others of you, I'm thinking, huh, really? Okay, all right. Uh, Risk taker. Like adventurous. You're more adventurous. You like adventure. When you're looking to do a family vacation, you're looking to go somewhere where there's an adventure. Uh, If if you're getting bored, whatever, you maybe get bored easily because you're always looking for that new opportunity, that new adventure. That's you. How many of you um, have ever been repelling? Like maybe down at Red River Gorge or somewhere you've ever repelled in your life. Okay, wonderful. Whitewater rafting? Adventure? Whitewater rafting? All right, okay, all right, we got some whitewater rafting fans here, all right. Um, what about bungee jumping? Anybody? Bungee jumping? All right, we might need the bungee jump people to stand up. Go ahead, stand up, bungee jump people. We want to see who you are. Um, yeah, we commend you, we commend you. Um, every insurance person in here just said, yeah, we're never talking to them. Um, all right, what about skydiving? Any skydivers? Uh, my son and I went to the FC game yesterday, and like all of a sudden, somebody came like paragliding or parachuting or whatever into the in the stadium. Sky, you've skydived? Yes. How long ago was that, Tom? Uh, okay. Awesome. Have you recovered yet? Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Amen. That was his wife, by the way. For those of you who don't know. So I would say there's a big difference between being adventurous and a risk taker and just being plain stupid. Am I right about that? Okay, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands on how many of you are just plain stupid, okay? That wouldn't, that wouldn't be fair, and I won't point you out. Um, <laughs> hopefully, you understand that moving past warning signs and barriers is probably not the wisest decision. Now, some of you may have had to learn that lesson the hard way. In fact, most of us probably at some point learned that lesson the hard way, but it's true. In fact, maybe you've heard recently uh, some of the stories even in the news about people who have gone past some of these barriers at some of our national parks um, and other places for 
the almighty selfie photo, right? Only to plunge to their death. I mean, I don't know if you've heard some of these stories, but they're becoming more and more, um, it seems like they're reoccurring more and more. Terrible, right? And while tragic for the individuals and their families, these instances also stand as a word of caution to the rest of us. Parks and nature reserves have signs that are posted for a reason. Products that we use around the house every day, they come with warning signs for a reason. Those of you that are getting ready to celebrate the 4th of July, there's a reason why there's a certain way you're supposed to use fireworks. Despite what you may think, you're not supposed to put a firecracker on your arm and light it. Okay? That's what we used to do when I was a kid, right? Just to see what would happen, okay? I don't recommend that, okay? It does sting a little bit, all right? I want to conduct a, a simple test that I believe will show just how risky we are as a congregation. Okay, you ready for this? Everyone participates. Uh, everybody say, uh, I agree to participate. All right, there you go. There's, there's our waiver. All right, so <laughs> I need you to respond with the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the following. Okay, you ready for this? All right, here we go. Red light means... Okay, good. That's good. That's good. Congratulations. All right. Green light means? No. Okay. Yellow light means? No. I knew I would get a mix. I got the slow down. I heard a couple of people. I also got a whole lot of speed up, go faster, do whatever it takes, right? Depending on the part of city and the time of day. All right, I'm with you. I understand what you mean by that, okay? By the way, does anybody know what a flashing red light means? Treat it like a stop sign. Good job, recently turned 16, 17, and 18-year-olds who are driving. Good job. What about a flashing yellow light? Is it caution? You know what it actually means? It means the lighting system is down, and so all regular road rules apply. Right? I'm telling you that's scary, okay? Because regular road rules for one person and regular road rules for somebody else. I mean, all you got to do is go to this four-way stop down here at Forest and Asbury, and you will understand that people have different interpretations of the law. That is a the first person to stop is the next person to go kind of thing, right? Yeah, not so much, all right? You are putting your life at danger when you go down there. Well, in chapter 6, I'm going to get to the point of the message, okay? The chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is throwing up these caution lights. Call them blinking yellow, call them blinking red. I don't know, but Jesus is throwing them up. And this is Matthew 6, the first four verses. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, for instance, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then... Your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Okay? 
We heard Jesus say earlier in his Sermon on the Mount something like this, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify whom? Your Father in heaven, okay? And now, here, Jesus is saying that our giving should be done in secret. So is Jesus contradicting himself? Not at all. He's not contradicting himself so much as he is addressing a different matter. This is a matter of the heart, a matter of one's intention. Jesus here is addressing things like hypocrisy and phoniness in regards to righteous behavior. What Jesus is really talking about is an M word that we often use, and it's the word motive. Our motive is our reason for doing something, especially one that is hidden or not obvious. So your motive is more kind of what's behind the scenes of the, the why of what you're doing. When we give to the church, when we give to another organization, when we give to an individual, there is a reason for our giving. When we serve our community, when we serve our church, when we serve another individual, there is a reason for our serving. And if some of us are being honest, we give and we serve out of an obligation. I give and I serve because it's the right thing to do. We give and we serve because Jesus compels us to give and to serve. Others of us give and serve out of opportunity. Giving and serving affords us the opportunity to return a portion of that which has been given to us. There are all sorts of reasons for why we do certain things. In chapter 11 of the Gospel of Luke, we read where Jesus calls out some Pharisees and experts in the law for their selfish motives. In fact, the passage is titled, Woes on the Pharisees and the Experts in the Law. I hope that there is never something titled, Woes to the Members of Anderson Hills. <laughs> that would that'd be a bummer. I would not want to make that passage. Luke 11, 37 through 43, it says, When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. And so Jesus, like he always did, took the opportunity to teach. And he said, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside of you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. And he goes on to list some other things as well. So the first thing that I think Jesus would want us to hear, based on these two passages, is this. If I, or you, or, or we collectively, give, if we, if we do not give, if we do not serve, um, because it earns us, or, or we don't do these things because it earns us the praise and adoration of others. That's not, that should not be our motive. That should not be our reason for doing something, is to earn praise and adoration. And it's not that we completely avoid any practice of righteousness before men, but rather it is that we avoid the doing of such thing just to be seen by men. So it can't be our, our primary motive for doing those things. It is proper to do good works before men when we are trying to secure praise for God, but not when we are trying to secure praise for ourselves. Now let me say this. This does not mean that we always have to deflect the praise of others. 
We've seen kind of a trend, uh, particularly among athletes or among entertainers, where as soon as someone gives them praise at the end of something, a game or whatever, they just quickly throw the attention off of themselves onto something, something else. And, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Certainly God should get the first of our praise. However, there's also nothing wrong with saying thank you. I feel like we're kind of like growing up into this generation of people who don't know how to accept praise. We don't know how to, how to accept when somebody wants to give us a compliment. What do we typically do? Sarcasm, right? We, we make light of it. Or we, we say something like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. I mean, just say thanks. It's really not that difficult. You know, you don't always have to be like, well, I wish I was that good, or I wish I could have done, you know, or, or, or immediately go to the thing you screwed up, right? Like, wow, you did a great job on that solo. Well, yeah, except for lines one, two, and three. You know, it's like, just say thank you, you know? It's okay to compliment one another. It's okay to receive those comments. But there are limits, right? Like, we also don't want to be that person, oh, I know, right? <laughs> like, keep, bring it, bring it, I love it, you know? Don't want to be that person either. One of the simplest and most humble things we can do when we receive praise is just to say thank you. Again, humility is not thinking, right, of ourselves less. It's thinking of ourselves less, right? Okay? So we're not, we're not spending our time constantly thinking about ourselves. It's not that we are putting ourselves down. If in the innermost being of a person's heart, of your heart, you mean to please and glorify God, then guess what? He will reward you. That's what the Bible says here. If not, then what reward you may have will be limited to the praise of men. So, I mean, if you're seeking intentionally to glorify and honor God through whatever that gift or talent or whatever it is, service, giving, whatever, then God will be honored and he will also reward you. But if, on the other hand, it's simply to gain the praise of others, then that's where it's going to stop. The second thing I think Jesus would want us to hear this morning is this. I do not give, I do not serve simply because it makes me feel good about myself. Now, is it wrong for me to feel good when I give or when I serve? No, of course not. In fact, if you don't feel good about giving and serving others, then I would say there's something really wrong with you. But the point I want to make here is not that it is wrong to feel good when you give or serve, but that feeling good about ourselves should not be our primary reason, our primary motivation for our giving or our service. Jesus says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What he means is that we need to seek humility in our giving, humility in our service, and in any act of righteousness, so much so that we would say in our heart, um, you know, it's not, it's not about me. We're not, we're not carrying around this mentality of what a good person I am. What a good man. What a good boy. Look at all that I've accomplished, right? A person in whom God is reigning in their heart cares not about how much people hear of his or her public gifts and service, nor how little they hear of the private ones, right? They just, that's not a worry of theirs. I don't care how much it's out there that they're that kind of person. And, and when I do look around this room, I see countless people who fit that bill. I mean, I was thinking this morning, like that Rolodex in my mind was going through people who are, who are a part of this church, a part of this congregation, who I see, I, it's like 
I see you. You know what I mean? Like, I want you to know that, church. I see you in your service. And I, and I see where 99% of us, I mean, you're out there, you're serving, and you don't, you're not doing it for the praise. You're not doing it accepting, expecting anything in return. I see where we have some incredibly generous people. I mean, every year when that ASP trip comes around, we have people who just pony up, man. They're like, we need $100, all right, here's $100. We need a gift card, okay, here's a gift card. We need me to run out and grab some stuff at Kroger, I'll do that. You know, and that's just a small example of, of the generosity and of the loving service that goes on here at this church. These people are more concerned with letting their light shine than they are with turning the spotlight on themselves. You see, there's a difference. So if I don't give and serve because it earns me the praise and adoration of others, and if I don't give and serve because it makes me feel good about myself, then why do I give and serve? Simple. I give and serve because it brings glory and it brings honor and it brings praise to Almighty God. We are called to give. We are called to serve. I mean, notice that Jesus assumes at the beginning of this passage in verse 1 that we will practice these things. He doesn't say, and if you give, and if you decide to give. He says, and when you give, do it with these intentions. Right? Jesus says, when you practice, not if you practice. There's an expectation that we will do these things. And Jesus wants us, his hearers, to understand the why behind the what. Hopefully you as parents... When you teach your children things, you teach them the why behind the what that you are instructing them to do. The why behind the way that you are encouraging them to live. I mean, because otherwise, your children grow up, what? Thinking that the reason they do certain things is simply to earn your favor, is simply so that they can stay out of trouble. And sometimes we as Christians, it's the same thing. We know the what we don't always know the why, and so what we end up with is a lot of Pharisees. And that's problematic. There is so much more to life than just knowing the what. Our motivation for doing should be our being with Christ in relationship with Almighty God. Our motivation for working and wanting to serve should be because of our faith that we have in Him. Our motivation for obedience should be the love that we have for God in our hearts and for others. You get where I'm going? We need to check our motivation for doing things. What is our motivation for giving? What is our motivation for serving? Here's the bottom line. God rewards generosity that is motivated by our sincere love for him and our love for other people. I want to wrap up with this scripture passage. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 8. It says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's a nice promise from Scripture. 
Give, not because someone is telling you to give. Serve, not because someone is telling you to serve. Not because you feel guilty or you feel like you have to out of obligation. Give cheerfully. Serve willingly. And God will bless you. God will bless you. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the good words that we read in the Sermon on the Mount, God, that all that we've already learned and gleaned from the first chapter, and as we work now here in chapter six, God, we just, we thank you for all that you taught, all that you continue to teach us about life, and about living as your disciple here on this earth, and um, God, we know that we have so much more to learn. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, you would just implant in each of us, God, a heart, a heart to give, a heart to serve, um, not out of duty, not out of obligation, but out of the great opportunity that we have to connect with you and to join with you in reaching this world for Jesus Christ. God, we are filthy rich. We are blessed beyond measure. And so help us, God, just to give a portion back of what we've been given to others. God, may we see those people in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, our communities, our schools. God, may we see those people who are, who are hurting, who are struggling, who need help. God, may we seek to do something about it, to make an impact, to make a difference. God, again, not for our glory, but for your glory. God, I believe this church to be that kind of place. I believe this is a church made up of people who are absolutely ready at any moment to take this community by storm. God, we've got Vacation Bible School coming up this week. And God, we've got countless men and women and young men and young women who are going to be serving down there in Mount Washington ministering to these children, to their hearts sharing the gospel with them God it's a powerful testimony to who you are to who we are as a church that we're able to do such a large program in, in a community that's not right in our own backyard just a few miles away God, we had 73 people go to Appalachia for a week, give up a week of their summer vacation, give up a week of, of vacation at work, from work, give up a week of, of paid work, God, to go and to build homes and to repair damage. God, why? Because they felt compelled to serve, not for their glory, but for yours. And Lord, we take mission trips to Jamaica and we take mission trips to Mexico and God we're doing all these great things here locally and we've, we've been uh, hosting folks over in our hospitality house this week and I've seen people there night in and night out out playing basketball on the courts and out rocking on the rocking chairs on the front porch and, and God there's all these great things that we're doing but God in all of that and through all of that may we remember that there is more to be done again not because not so we can get the praise, not so that we can get the adoration, not so that the community will step up and say, oh, look at that Anderson Hills United Methodist Church, God, but so that people will see you. So that people will see your heart in action. God, we don't want the spotlight on us, but we want to be the light so that others will see you, come to know you. So give us wisdom. Help us to take note of those things we need to be doing. We ask it in Christ's name.